Good morning, Southview. How are we? All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad that you're here. Everybody's still making their way in and dropping kids off in kids' ministry and all that kind of fun stuff. We want to go ahead and get started with you. If you're a guest with us today, welcome. My name is Brad. I am the pastor here at Southview, and it's wonderful to have you today worshiping with us. Uh, so we're going to jump in here in a second. If you're new to church, so we're going we're gonna to stand a little bit. We're going to sing. We're going to read the Bible. We're going to pray. And the point of all of that is to point us to Jesus. The point of all of that is to see how great and awesome Jesus is and that we run after Jesus and fall deeper in love with Jesus. And, and really, that's the point of the entire Bible, right? Pointing us to Christ and who Christ really is and God's work in us. And it's everywhere. So like this this week, I was... Um, in my personal time with the Lord, I'm reading through the Old Testament, and I finished up 2 Kings. I don't know if you've ever read the end of 2 Kings, but it is not fun, all right? It is, it is bad, right? It is death and destruction and mayhem. It is horrific. Everything's falling apart. People are starving to death and killing each other, and bad guys are coming in and conquering the people of God. It's horrible, so the people of God are sinning, they're rebellion, they're in idolatry. God eventually, for the southern kingdom, Judah, uh, um, because of their sin, sends them off into captivity. And the king at the time in Judah, when they were captured, is a guy by the name of Jehoiakim. If you're looking, if you're having a baby and you're looking for a baby name, Jehoiakim, right? Go for that one. So Jehoiakim gets captured, thrown in jail by the Babylonian king, and he's stuck in jail for years, years. And it says at the end of chapter 25, the very end of 2 Kings, it says really kind of out of nowhere, it's almost random, this pagan 
wicked, idolatrous Babylonian king says, out of an act of sheer grace, calls Jehoiakim out of prison, changes his prison clothes out for for royal robes, and gives him a place at his royal table for the rest of his life. And it makes, on the surface, no sense. There's no reason why he should do this. He's conquered this man. He doesn't have to honor him. And Jehoiakim isn't doing this because he's, he's been so great in God's eyes that God is raising him up. In fact, the only thing we see about Jehoiakim is the fact that it says he continuously did evil in the eyes of God. He was a bad guy. But what you see at the end of 2 Kings is a picture of the grace of God. And the idea that a bad man in prison can receive that kind of grace from a pagan godless king. How much more grace does the God of the universe give you and I? And the point of it is, just like this wicked idolatrous king showed grace and changed the life of Jehoiakim, even more so than that, God's grace changes you. The grace and mercy and glory and power of God changes you. Take off your old, dirty, stinky clothes of life and gives you brand new clothes of righteousness in Jesus Christ. Places you at the king's table as a son and daughter of God. Today what I want you to hear is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he takes people who are stuck in the prisons of life, stuck in the bondages of life, stuck in the old prison clothes of failure and sin and junk. And he comes to you with grace and mercy through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He takes you out of that and he makes you new. And for that we sing that he is a glorious and amazing God that makes a way where there is no other way and does things that no one else could possibly do and does unbelievable, miraculous things in us like making us sons and daughters of, of God. He is a, a God that makes a way where there is no way. And so our faith is in him. So Lord God, today we just call out to you. We sing to you, we rejoice in you, and we ask you, God, today that you'd be glorified in us as we lift our voices to you. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, let's stand. Let's worship the Lord together. Good morning, church. Let's sing and celebrate these truths in our lives. Our God is able. Our God is gracious. Our God is wonderful. He is worthy to be praised.
Galatians chapter 2, verse 26 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me in the, the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so we're going to sing a new song, church. And the song is aptly, is aptly titled, Christ Be Magnified. And so I just want to celebrate these truths, but I want to call you to something um, greater than yourselves. Like for me, when I sing these songs, I immediately, um, sometimes I'm convicted. I say, I sing this and I think it's true, but am I really trusting in this? Is Christ being magnified? Am I trusting in him through these trials, through these good times? Am I, am I valuing and treasuring him above all things? So I pray that as we sing and as we gather together week after week, that these things would set in our heart and they would change us so we truly see Christ, that we would taste and see that he is good. And our thoughts, our actions, our desires, our deeds, our needs would be transformed so that Christ would be set above all of it. And that we would sing these songs because they are true and they resonate in our hearts. So let's sing this, Christ be magnified.
My God story is one of assured salvation. Um, I grew up like a, I'm sure a lot of people in this area did in church. Uh, my dad is actually a pastor up in Ohio. And uh, so I grew up uh, hearing the gospel, um, knowing what Christians are supposed to live like. And I would say that probably from about the time I was four till I graduated high school, I probably said about three sinners prayers. and. Uh, probably rededicated my life to God um, four or five times going to you know church camp or youth group or whatever um, and then in 2010 I joined the military and it became pretty evident to anybody that would have seen me at that time the way I acted and behaved that I was not a Christian I was still doing the things that I thought Christians were supposed to do the easy things right trying not to curse at work or, you know, trying not to lie or steal the easy stuff. But I would say that all definitely started even, I st stopped doing even those things, especially after my deployment in 2013. I, after that, started to struggle with, uh, I guess it would be borderline alcoholism. I still thought I was a Christian. I was just struggling. And I got married in 2014 on the, um, assumption that both of us were Christians. Um, I don't think she would have married me if she would have known I wasn't a Christian, but I thought I was. I had everybody fooled. In 2017, we got orders to Okinawa, Japan, and we got plugged into a church there. started going more regularly, the most regularly we had gone in our marriage so far. Then I started to hear the gospel again. I don't know, I honestly don't remember if it was a sermon that the pastor preached or just somebody I talked to at church or what but I was driving home from work one day and uh, it just kind of hit me that I was not a Christian because I wasn't one wasn't doing things that Christians were supposed to do because I knew that it would please Jesus I was doing it just because I thought a Christian was supposed to do it and as Brad likes to say from the pulpit, I was one of those people that said a sinner's prayer because I didn't want to go to hell. I didn't do it because I wanted to be with Jesus. And it just hit me that I wanted to go to heaven because I wanted to be with Jesus. And so on my way home from work, I didn't want to wait. I was sitting at a red light and I, I just prayed to God right there in my car. And that's when I know I was saved for sure. And since that day, I know that I have assurance in my salvation in Christ. My name is Sam Cornett, and this is my God story. Oh, amen. Amen. Hey, if you have a Bible, let's find Titus chapter 2 together, all right? Titus 2. And to piggyback off what Sam was saying there, our study in the book of Titus is showing us that when you trust by faith in Christ, there are indeed things that should be true of you, right? You, you should stop doing certain things and you should start doing other things. That is very much true. But 
what we want to see in the book of Titus, and, and what Sam was saying in his testimony was, so often we, we get it backwards, we get it twisted. We, we try to focus on the hands, we try to focus on our actions, we try to change our actions, and instead, the Bible teaches that we are to let Jesus Christ, through his gospel, change our hearts. And as your heart is changed, your hands will follow. Doesn't mean that you won't still have sin or things that you need to repent of or things that, that you need to grow in. But, but now, why you do that and the power and the ability to do those things is, is now different. Christianity is an inside out religion, it's not focused on making sure your hands are clean. It's about is your heart made new? Is your heart clean before God? And as a result of that, then, then your actions, your hands, they follow. That's why the title for our series here in Titus is Gospel Thinking for Gospel Living. As you understand who God is and as you understand who you are in Christ, you begin to live that out. You begin to live that differently. So the book of Titus, just to kind of give you a quick heads, uh, 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 recap to where we are. Uh, so Titus is um, a young pastor on the island of Crete. Um, his mentor in the ministry, a man named Paul, is writing this letter to him. Paul, Titus, another guy named Timothy were on Crete, leading people to Jesus, starting the churches. At some point, Paul and Timothy left to go to Ephesus, and Titus stayed behind to lead the churches there. And Paul, at some point, hears that False teachers have come into the church and that they're teaching people that you have to basically become Jewish in order to really be Christian. you got to go through circumcision and obey these laws and not eat these foods and do these things. They were focusing on the hands. They were focusing on the external. They were focusing on things that you should or should not do, and that is what's going to make you pleasing to God. And Paul's talking to Titus and saying, no, 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 no. You need to make sure they understand it's about your heart." And now once your heart is right before God, once your heart is changed from the gospel, then yes, there are things that you need to be doing, and we'll talk about that. And Paul talks about that, and we're going to see that today. Yes, the Bible is abundantly clear that there are things that you should and should not do. But what drives that, the heart behind that, is first the gospel in your own life. As you see and understand who God is, and see and understand the gospel, and see and understand who Christ has made you to be, now you live differently. So as we go through Titus and here in chapter 2 especially, it's going to do something really interesting. I love the book of Titus. Titus and First and Second Timothy are called the pastoral epistles because they're written to pastors to try to help them understand how to lead their churches. So I like those. Um, and, and it's really interesting in Titus chapter 2. He's going to be, Titus is going to be told, look, you have different groups in your church. Older men and older women and younger women and younger men and slaves. And you have all these different groups of people. I want you to speak directly to each of those groups about things that they specifically need to grow in. Every group has different struggles and temptations. Each group has different things that hit them differently. And so it's wise for us as a congregation to understand there is something significant about knowing the station you're in in life, the station you are in socioeconomically, that does, while, while the commands of God are the same, the gospel is the same, how that affects you and works out in your life could very well be different. And so we, we need to do that and do that wisely and well. And that's exactly what Paul does here in Titus chapter 2. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend the next month or so 
looking specifically at each of these groups. What Paul says to this group, and what he says to this group, and what he says to this group, and this group. We're going to do that, and we're going to start today doing that. But before we do, I want us to read the whole thing together. Titus chapter 2, 1 through 15. We're going to read the whole chapter because I want us to see the big idea. I want us to see how it all connects. And there are a few truths that kind of weave throughout the whole passage that are important for us to grasp and understand. So Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 1. All right? But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent uh, may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They're to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. All right, so a few big truths about this passage as a whole that we're going to see over the next few weeks as we dive into it, and then we'll get specifically into our verse for today. So three things I want you to see. Number one is this. The way you live is rooted in the way you think. Again, this is the big idea of Titus. How you think about God and how you think about who God is, how you think about the gospel and who you are in Christ affects the way you live. And I want you to see how you live actually matters. The way you live matters to God. God cares about how you live. God cares about sin that's in your life. God cares about you walking in holiness. God cares. God actually cares. Here's the dirty secret. You ready? The Bible tells you how to live your life. Duh. It actually tells you this is what you should do and this is what you should not do. And, stick with me, you are to obey it. This is what the Bible is. Too many professing Christians say they believe what's in the Bible, but do not actually live in accordance with it. In fact, if you have your Bible, you can go up to chapter 1, verse 16. We saw this last week, these false teachers. Look at the way they're described in Titus 1, 16. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable 
disobedient, unfit for any good work. Chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So what Paul's telling Timothy is, look, there are people that say they're followers of Christ and say they believe the Bible and say they love God, but their life just doesn't match up with that. Don't be that guy. But as for you, Titus, and the people that you're in charge of, you teach them how to live lives that actually line up with what they say they believe. So as we go through Titus 2, what we're going to see is this. The way you live matters. God actually cares. God actually gives commands. And he really, really, really expects you to obey them. And the way you're going to obey them, the way you're going to walk in that, is by you renewing your mind to the truths of God's word. Who he says he is, not just the commands that he gives, but who he is, who he says he is, and who he says you are now in Christ. Uh, Second thing you see is this. The way you live affects the world, either positively or negatively. Uh, You see this in in chapter 2 here of Titus. Three different times how the people in the church live, it said the people out there are watching you. And you either show them something that brings dishonor to God or show them something that brings glory and honor to God. How you live affects how the world views God. That's a big deal. How you live your life affects the way lost people view God. Atheism, is, it's, it's increasing in number, but it's still, I think it's just become kind of a fad and actual legitimate true atheist can fit in a phone booth. Like, I don't think there is none of them. But here's what the world really is just, they, they struggle to believe. Not that there is a God that exists. The vast majority of Americans still hold to some belief of that. Most don't believe in the God of the Bible, but they believe in some idea of God. Here's what they struggle with. The fact that you say you know him personally and still live like you do. That's what trips them up. That's the problem. Uh, you can look at verse 5 where he's talking to young women and he tells them to be submissive to their own husbands so that the word of God may not be reviled out in the world. So that you live your life towards your husband in such a way so that the lost world out there doesn't mock God. Verse 8, he's talking to Titus and he tells Titus that he should be sound in speech so that it cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. The world wants to say evil things about Christians, and the way we live determines whether or not they'll have a foot to do that with. Does that make sense? How we live actually matters. And then in verse 10, he's talking about servants there. And he says in verse 10 that they are to show um, all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. In other words, they should live their life in such a way where they're literally just dressing themselves in the glory and honor of God. And every time they act like this in a way that brings glory and honor to God, people look at them and say, I don't know if I believe what that guy believes, but I know what he believes has changed him. Right? Right? 
This is the idea. We need to understand this. How you live actually, legitimately matters. Number one, God is not making suggestions. He has made commands. Number two, the lost world is watching us. Like, it, it matters. It matters how we live. And the third thing I want you to see in Titus chapter 2 is one of the encouragements is we need everyone from all races and all genders and all ages seeking to walk healthy and whole, faithful in the Lord so that we can be a healthy church. We need each other. In order for me to live how God has called me to live, I need you to know how God has called me to live. Pray for me and hold me accountable in that. And I need to do the same for you. They stood up with this. Titus stood up and he didn't just read this letter to himself. He read it to the whole church so that everyone heard what God expects from older men and older women and younger women and younger men and the servants. Everyone heard it. Everyone knew They didn't break up into separate groups and go, all right, guys, this is what God wants you to do. Don't tell your wife. He tells everybody. Why? So that we can love each other, pray for one another, encourage one another, and know what to expect from one another. We need the body. How you live matters. God actually cares. The world is watching And God has given the body of Christ as a way to encourage one another and help one another to walk out the faithfulness of what God has called us to do. So with that, let's jump in specifically for today. Today we're going to be looking at a group in the Bible simply known as older men. Titus chapter 2, verse 2. Older men. Are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. All right, so let's do this first. Let's, let's tackle the elephant in the room. Who's older men? Right? Who, who fits in that category? Um, you think this is tough. Next week i got to define who an older woman is. Um, <laughs> so, as you... As you uh, if you were to do a deep dive in, into that word older, um, uh, as you kind of look in some ancient Greek, so there's some debate as to try to figure out like a line in the sand age. Some say it's around 50, some say it's around 60. Honestly, I'm not going to worry about that. The point isn't there's a, a, an age where God says, all right, at this point, here's what I want you to do. The point is this, we are all getting older. And as you get older in life and in the Lord, there are certain things that should be true of you. And the Bible is going to show you what those are. All right? Older man. Here's how you know you're getting to be an older man. Right? When the market dings your 401k and the first response you have is not, oh, we got time. If you stand up here in just a few moments and you cannot stand out of your seat right now without making some kind of noise. Right? Right? Um, if you have lived long enough that teenagers today are wearing the same clothes you wore in high school, right? You've lived long enough for that sucker to go around the earth and come back again. Here's your sign, right? You're... 
But I want to encourage just for a moment. First is this. Um, so that category of older for, for the men and for the ladies next week. I understand, like in our flesh, that's something that we want to drag our feet on. Um, there are probably more older men in the room that would then would classify themselves as such, right? Right. We we really don't want to don't want to put ourselves in that bucket yet, and I under, I understand that. But a couple of points of encouragement. What we're going to see in Titus two is this: number one, we need older men. They are, you are a value. You are a treasure. You are needed. You are the leader. You are the leader. There's a reason why older men are listed first here. As you go, so goes the rest of the body. I know that there's this deep um, temptation to hand things off to a younger crowd and just coast. Titus 2 is going to push hard in on that for guys today and ladies next week. You are needed. You are valuable. You are, you are indispensable. We cannot, we, and, and I say this in all sincerity, we will not be the church God desires us to be without older men walking faithfully in what God has called them to walk in. We can't do it. It's not a possibility. We're dead in the water. We need you. You are valuable. You are a treasure. You are a leader. And today we're going to call you out to be that. Uh, Second thing I want you to see is this. That for older men... The Bible is going to say, as we go in Titus uh, 2.2 for older men, it's specifically going to kind of break down in a couple of areas around maturity and wisdom. Right? There's going to kind of be, be where all this sort of falls down for older men. Maturity and wisdom. And here's what I want you to get. You don't accidentally become mature and wise just because you've been around the earth a bunch. Right? Just because you've lived a lot of days doesn't mean you're mature, yeah? Just because you've lived a lot of days doesn't mean you're wise. What he's going to call us to is, this is something that you're to pursue, that you're to chase after, that you're to go for. Pursue these things. So what are older men called to pursue? So, again, looking at this passage, older men are to be first, what, sober-minded. All right, what is sober-minded? Well, on a base level, the word sober-minded means not drunk, right? Uh, sober as opposed to intoxicated. Right? So that's baseline of the word. And, 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 of course, that's an important instruction. Think about for older men. You were tired. You put in your time. You made your money. You handed the baton off to someone else. And now you just spend your time on the golf course or the beach or campsite up in the mountains. And it's really easy just to sit and drink. Just do it. I ain't got to be at work tomorrow. And so on one hand, 
what Titus 2.2 is telling you is this. You have more to offer the kingdom of God than that. Right? That, that, I don't know if you've realized this, but the Bible does not, you will not find the word retirement in the Bible. You retire from your work. You retire from your occupation. You don't retire from the kingdom of God. Caleb took the mountain when he was 80. Right? He's like, I got him. Caleb, you sure? Yeah, man. I'm going to swing my walker at him and beat him to death. <laughs> you have more to offer the kingdom of God. But on a deeper level, that word sober-minded literally means clear-headed. Someone who thinks clearly and rationally. They're not fogged by emotion. They're not fogged by anger. They're not fogged by um, uh, um, ulterior motives. They clearly think through something. Think about our world, our society, our culture. How desperately, how desperately do we need older men who can stand up and maturely, clear-headedly speak calmly into a situation? Don't we desperately need that? Our entire world is driven by emotion and fear and backlash, polarized and politicized. They think this, so I have to think that. We need older men who can be clear-headed and reasonable and thoughtful and not fogged by these other things and just speak wisdom and truth. I've heard stories of this church Back in former days when things uh, sometimes uh, did not get resolved as peacefully as you had hoped. Business meetings that went really poorly and things were not going well. And an older godly man would stand up, walk to the front and say, listen, we're not going to act like this. This is not who we are. And this is what we need to do. And everyone in the room just went, okay. How does that happen? Well, because he was living out who Titus 2.2 told him to be. A clear-headed, sober-minded, wise and godly older man. And when that guy stands up and talks, you listen, correct? You don't tell him to sit and be quiet. When he stands up clear-headed, Calm, gentle, strong voice. Here's what we need to do. Everyone says, okay. God, we need that guy. We need that guy in this world. We need that guy in our families. We need that guy in our church. Clear-headed, sound, reasonable wisdom. Second thing, it says there, he's not sober-minded, but he's dignified. All right, so what's the word dignified? So dignified doesn't mean staunchy, right? When you hear the word dignified, dignified. Right, it doesn't mean that he doesn't smile. It doesn't mean that he's stern. It doesn't mean that he can't take a joke. What it means is he's dignified means to live your life in such a way where it... It's clearly honorable, 
right? You live your life in such a way where it's worthy of respect. You live your life in such a way where people just respect you. You're just, you're just honorable, right? You're, you're worthy of that. And again, think about the world that we live in. In our world, in our culture, in our society, how desperately do we need older men that can model for this world what it means to just live respectable, dignified lives? My goodness, the dumber you are on TikTok, the more famous you are, right? Do something stupid and people like you. We need older men They can look at a generation and say, I know that people said they liked you because you did that, but that's not going to last. Here's a life that actually is going to bring honor and dignity and respect over time. Just because someone laughs doesn't mean they respect you. And so we need older men who can be this. Older men who can model this. Older men that can show this is what a dignified, honorable, respectable life looks like. Uh, next thing that he mentions there is self-control. And, and in fact, as we go through Titus 2, we're going to see that self-control is a mega theme. Four times in Titus chapter 2, different groups of people are trying to be self-controlled. Right? It's almost like as Paul is going through the list and telling each group what they need to be, it's like, oh, and you need to be self-controlled. And, and you need to be self-controlled. You know what? And you, you need to be self-controlled. You know what? All of you. All of you self-control. Think about our world. Think about our society. Think about the culture we live in. When you look outside, it's the first word that comes to your mind, self-control. Um, that's a negative. The word self-control literally means there to be able to curb your own desires. Self-control means you have the ability to tell yourself no. Even though you want to respond in a certain way, you stop and tell yourself no. Even though you want to do a certain thing, you stop and tell yourself no. You are self-controlled. And the fact that Self-control finds its way all throughout Titus 2. means that everybody needs to do this. But the fact that he starts with older men, telling older men to be self-controlled, is again, older men, if you're not walking in self-control, the rest of us have no hope. If you're not modeling what a self-controlled life looks like, how does anyone look and see what they should or should not be doing? We need older men who can model. This is what it means to tell yourself no. This is what it means to be self-controlled. This is what it means to respond in a way that is controlled and reasoned and honest. Not just blowing up. Not just just reacting to a thing. But in a self-controlled, spirit-filled wise way I just respond we need older men to show us that to live that to be that next again Titus 2 2 older men are to be sober minded dignified self 
self-controlled and sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. So the word sound means healthy, strong, vibrant, secure, right? stable, not wobbly. And it says that there are to be sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. And in fact, if you jump into the Greek there, the definitive article, the, is in front of each of those words. So it literally, in the Greek, it says sound in the faith, sound in the love, sound in the steadfastness. This isn't just randomness of you need to have faith or you need to be loving. You need to be patient. It's the faith. In other words, he's calling you as older men to model for us what a strong, powerful, over time, deep roots growing faith in Christ looks like. We need older men to show us, okay, I know walking in Christ is hard, but if you could do it faithfully for 40, 50 years, here's what you get to see. And we need that. We need that. Sound in the faith. Sound in the love. The love that God has poured into your heart and now you pour out into other people. Old men can be crotchety and hard. And it should not be so. Old men can be calloused. Old men can be harsh in their tone, in their rhetoric. And the Bible is saying, look, that's... It's not what Christian older men are to be. Christian older men are to grow more and more and more and more and more sound, strong, stable in the love of God. So that you're able to show that love to those around us. And then sound in the steadfastness or patience, your Bible might say, endurance, that that idea of Steadfastness is the ability to stay under something that you really want to get out of, right? And so again, older men, you've lived long enough to know what it's like to have hard days, difficult times, tough roads to walk down. You know what it's like to be up under something that you desperately wish you could get out from under. And what the Bible is saying is this, older men, you need to model for us what it looks like to have a heavy burden placed on you, but you trust God as you wait for him underneath it. Don't we need that model? Don't we need men of God that can show us how to be that? Because every person in this room has one thing in common. A day is going to come. If it has not hit you yet, it's because you're the younger crowd. Keep living. There's going to come a day where a weight lands on you. You would give anything to crawl out from underneath. And we need older men of God who can say, I know I've been there. I know what it's like to feel that pain and to feel that loss and to feel that hurt and to get that phone call. I know what it's like to strive for something and you feel like you just can't get it. I know what it's like to give your life to a a job, give a life to an occupation, give your life to your country and then feel like it just came to nothing. I know what it's like to feel that. And Here's how I stayed up underneath it and trusted God. We need older men that can be that. Because if we have those models what do we do 
Again, like I told you, older men, you are beyond valuable for this church in the kingdom of God. We need you. Don't give up. It's so interesting as we go through Titus 2 and we see the different groups, God kind of hits them differently. Like we're going to get to younger men and the push for younger men is going to be more, whoa, brother, pump the brakes. Right? I'm glad that you're excited, really. But you need to slow down. And for older men, it's keep your foot on the gas. Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't quit. Don't coast. I mean, forget passing the baton. Some of you are just turn around and throwing it at the runner behind you as you dart off into the stands. Real practical is this. Older men, number one, stay involved. Stay involved. When I ask you to do stuff, quit telling me no. Oh, I've done that too long. Let a younger guy do it. He's going to stink at it. No. I've done that for years. I know. That's why I'm asking you. You've done it for years. You're good at it. You should do it again. Stop saying no. Stop. Stay in the game. Stay in the fight. Don't quit. Don't give up. And as you see Titus 2.2, calling you to certain characteristics in you, pursue these things. Pursue them. Chase after them. See what God has called you to be as an older man and go after it. If you're not an older man yet, look what God would want you to be when you are one and start going after these things. You don't wake up one day at 60 magically mature in Christ. You have to grow there. So start now. And as you see things in Titus 2.2 and and through all the other things that we're going to see in the weeks to come, and and, and you see maybe things God calls you to that that you're not quite sure are in you, Right For older men today, if you look at Titus 2.2 and you go, okay, um, sober-minded and dignified and self-controlled and sound in faith and love and steadfastness, I, I don't know if that's me. I don't know if I'm doing that. Number one, I would encourage you, don't be discouraged. Sometimes God allows us to see struggles in our life so that we see our desperate need for Christ. So this morning, uh, I was gathering with pastors and um, praying for you this morning. That's something we try to do every week is, is get together. I don't know if you know this, but Sunday mornings are kind of busy for us. Um, but we try to carve out time, even if it's just three, four minutes. We try to carve out time, go, hey, you got a minute, you got a minute, you got a minute. All right, all right let's, let's duck in this room, let's duck in this office, let's spend time praying for our people before they start gathering. And we were praying for you this morning. And as we were praying for you this morning... We just started talking about our own lives and things that we're personally praying through and working through. And, um, and, and the theme that kept coming up was struggle. Right? There, there struggles in, in our own lives that we're confessing to one another and asking to pray for us. And, and then things that we know would be true in you as you struggle. 
And as we prayed through that together, what we came to was, praise God for the struggle. Here's why. God allows you to feel how far you still need to go so that you realize how much you need him. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, it is a good thing when temptation comes. Jesus Well, because when temptation comes, when realization of how far we still have to go comes into our hearts and minds and we realize it, the point of that is to cause us to go running after Jesus and realize our desperate need for him. When you see your temptation and see your struggle and see where you're uh, prone to fall, the point of that is for you to go, Jesus, I need you. These sins that so easily entangle me, I, I, I get rid of them, I don't want them, and I'm looking to you as the author and finisher and perfecter of my faith. I need you, Jesus. When we see our need, when we see where we may struggle, we see where we may be deficient, we see where we fall, it's to cause us to go pushing more for Christ. And how do we do that? Well, we see that in chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. I want to read that to you. And as we're doing that, I'm going to ask our band to come up. Every week as we go through Titus 2, we're going to end reading this passage together. Because what we're going to see is, older men, be this. Older women, be this. Younger women, be this. Younger men, be this. And it's really easy to look at that and, and think again as just do this thing. But we've got to get the whole context. And that last part there, that last paragraph in chapter 2 is so important because it shows you how you're actually able to do it. So for older men today, how do you walk in maturity and wisdom marked by sober-mindedness and dignity and self-control and soundness in the faith and the love and the steadfastness of Christ. We see that in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Verse 12. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. It's the grace of God that trains you it's the grace of God that teaches you how to walk in holiness. The grace of God does this. The gospel does this. The gospel is what trains you and equips you to live a life of holiness. Renouncing, turning from ungodliness, and turning to things that are godly. How does that happen? Verse 13. Waiting for a blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus do? Verse 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus gave his own life 
to redeem you, to buy you out of sin, to cleanse you fully and completely, washing you white as snow, giving you a brand new heart that now is zealous, desires, longs for good works, and so you go running after now the things of God. How do you how do you live out the commands of God? You set your hearts on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who God is, that God is holy and perfect and sovereign over all creation. And I have sinned against him, but he came to save me by sending his son to die in my place for my sin. And when I trust my faith in Christ, I'm given a brand new heart. And all that old stuff is thrown away. And the Spirit of God is placed inside of me. And as I, as I long for Him and lean into Him and desire Him, He stirs in me greater and greater and greater desires for good works. So in just a moment, we're going to sing. And our focus is going to be on the marvelous, amazing, jaw-dropping love of God that saves sinners like us. And the point is, as we see how glorious and amazing and awesome God is, that he would save someone like me, it changes us so that we want to live for him, and we want to desire him, and we want to pursue him. The answer is, see how great God is, how great his gospel is. And as he changes you, man, you go running after him. Lord God, thank you for your life. Thank you for your love. Thank you, God, that you change us from the inside out. I pray, God, for everyone here, Lord, that we would see how glorious and amazing your gospel is and that we would be changed by that. But I do want to pray specifically for our older men, that they would see they are still warriors of God. Men changed by the gospel and called out by God to show how to walk in faithfulness and walk in holiness and walk in purity and to be dignified and respectable and self-controlled always growing in the faith, always growing in the love, always growing in the patience of God. Raise up those men out of this room right now. There would be that for us, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's stand, guys. Let's spend some time worshiping together as we set our hearts on how marvelous our God is. Sinner condemned
couple of quick things for you. One, if you're a guest, welcome. We're so glad that you're here today. Best way to 
connect with us is just to grab your cell phone and text the word connect to our number 910-424-1298 that will help you connect with us so we can know who you are and how we can minister to you in the best way possible but for everyone here we've got three big announcements we want you to know Number one, Halloween outreach. If you are interested, if you've signed up or you haven't signed up, but you're interested in using your house on Halloween night as an outreach for your neighborhood, we're going to have a meeting right now in the FLC. All right. So if you're interested in that or you've signed up, you can go in there. We'll get all that squared away. Okay. So that's right after this service here. Second, our joy group. That's our senior adult ministry. They're going to have a lunch this Tuesday at 11.30. If you want to sign up for that, you can go out the store, down the hall. There's a sign-up sheet on the bulletin board. Sign up, if you would, so we can have an idea of number-wise what we're looking at. But that's going to be this Tuesday at 11.30. You're not going to want to miss that. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then lastly, our ladies' ministry. Um, The guys are going on our men's retreat here in a couple weeks. And while we're on, our ladies are going to have a little get-together event on October 22nd from 10 to 12. Uh, painting pumpkins and stuff. Uh, uh, it's going to be awesome. Um, but uh, they have child care provided. If you'd like to have child care, uh, we can do that. But we need you to let us know so we know how many to prepare for. So if you want to sign up for that, if you haven't yet, text the word PUMPKIN to our number, 910-424-1298. Get you signed up for that, and we'll make sure you're set with child care and everything. And then for everything else, all our other announcements, you can download our app, iTunes, Google Play, download the Southview Baptist Church app. That's the best way to stay connected. You give online through the app or in the giving boxes as you leave, whatever works best for you. You can find a journey group online, announcements online, sermons online, sign up for things online. That really is kind of the hub. So download the app and use that. That will be really beneficial for you. All right? Let me pray for us and we'll let you go. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you, God, for your love. We thank you, God, for your life. I pray, God, that you would, for all of us, let us see who you've called us to be as sons and daughters of God. But I pray specifically for our older men. I pray you would raise them up. God, we love them. We praise you for them. And we ask you, God, that you would empower them to live out all that you've created for them. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a great week.